Hey everybody, Matt here from Austin. Just saying, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Need to throw out here a little disclaimer just in that we did uh, record this episode before we ever started watching Discovery. In fact, I want to say that we recorded this back in May even, possibly June, can't remember, doesn't matter. The point is is that uh, we obviously talk about Mud as he is in the original series in this episode and make uh, maybe one offhand mention of Discovery and uh, that reason is, is because we hadn't seen Discovery yet. So... Please forgive us. But don't worry, we have another episode of Mud coming up in the original spir- series where we will be able to compare and contrast. Won't that be fun? Yes, it will be. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that uh, you have found us. Excellent. There are lots of other places that you can find us. Those places are our website, thebrotherstrekabout.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, And on Facebook, of course, where we sometimes post any new and interesting Star Trek news that happens to come by. Like that whole Quentin Tarantino thing. Isn't that exciting? That could be exciting. I don't know. I'll write about it later. At any rate, here's the episode. the big big show my name is matt i'm calling from austin and back in houston my brother and your friend ken greetings greetings well here we are we're back here from mud's women this mud he's a he's a popular character true he's not my particular cup of tea i'm not terribly interested in mud but he's he does well in polling fans like him they did uh-huh. two episodes with him. Yep. They and they did an back. animated episode version with him. And there's going to be a mud character in the new Star Trek Discovery. That's right. Rain Wilson, right? From uh, The Office. People like the mud. Yeah, apparently. Well, that's good. I mean, I think he's fun in this episode. You know, uh, he's, a little, he's a little flamboyant. Definitely, you know butted up against the very serious Captain Kirk and his crew, I think he, it works really well. You know, it plays well. It does. It, it plays well. He's a, he's a nice contrast to the rest of the character. The character is all buttoned down. They're serious. They're all kind of military. Yeah. And hard up, apparently. Uh, well, yeah, he, that guy, his name is uh, Robert C. Carmel, and he was just uh, one of those guys who flitter around and did all the big shows during the 60s. You know, uh, he was a fun guy. Everybody liked him, so everybody was always ha- happy to have him guest on uh, whatever show they were working on because he was a cool guy. So we get into some... It's not so blatant. It's very subtle. I mean, you know, TV in the 60s, they couldn't show what they show today. You know, there was no Law & Order SVU, for example, or, you know, any of those kinds of things. So in Roddenberry's original outline, uh, NBC was really freaked out about the, uh, the prostitution side of this episode, as well as the, and this didn't really hit me either, but, you know, the drug use that they talk about in this episode, which is funny because I don't really 
you know, I didn't, I didn't really see that. <laughs> the drug. I mean, yes, they're taking pills to make themselves look pretty, but I'm like, can we really compare that to like cocaine or pot or something? So this is a, a theory of the future, you know, the Jetsons future, in which you take a pill to solve all your problems. And of course, their problem here is aging. And with aging, you know, the decline of, of beauty and so forth. And so in one sense, this is a pill to reverse aging. Yeah. Firstly, according to the Jetsons, like, we'll have dinners, you know, that are pills or, uh, you know. But I also wonder if it's not so much that they're, like, getting old, which, yeah, sort of plays that way. But I also wonder if they were just plain ugly, you know, because they sort of, like, one of them actually says that, like, I'm just not beautiful, I'm ugly. And you're like, oh, well, that's just not good for anybody. Well, Hollywood ugly. <laughs> well, that's definitely true. Definitely true. So anyway, it was the uh, the writer, of the, the guy who took over after the outline. Anyway, uh, his name was Candle, and he uh, came up with the idea of adding mud. And I think that something about the mud and the attractive ladies that they have on, uh, you know, in the show really sort of blurs that line of, uh, you know, what's acceptable and what's unacceptable in, in 1960s television, you know. It's just interesting, too, to think that, like, with the lack of prostitution, with the lack of drug use, then you have to wonder what all those police stories were about that they kept showing, you know, forever on all those channels, you know? It's like, they're just bad guys beating up people and robbing banks and stuff. Well, of course, you could have gangsterism, and that was a big, that was a big you know, thing, is that you were fighting. You'd never get really into what the gangsters were doing, but right. merely identifying them as gangsters was good enough. And of course, then you can have certain kinds of crimes, uh, you know, that have always gone over reasonably well on television, that is off-screen violence. So you might have a bank robbery. You know, what we basically see is the hold up, the, you know, hand over your money. You may hear about, you know, shots fired at the bank, you know, the guard is down or whatever. You may see him later in the hospital being interviewed by the police, recovering from his wounds, but you don't necessarily see the violence. But a bank robberies are a big deal. So you get that kind of stuff. But yeah, the vice crime? No. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. No, we're not we're not seeing those. The 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 prostitutes, you know, hooked on heroin, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're saving that for the eighties. Well when we get to the eighties, we'll get to that. But in a lot of ways this show itself is one of those police shows that we were just talking about. The whole you know, second act is basically a, a police procedural in which the, the crew, you know, bring out their evidence against Mud. They interrogate him. They've got a little court hearing. You know, they're, they want to charge him with uh, some kind of reckless starship flying. <laughs> or something. He doesn't yes. have a master's license. <laughs> without a license. <laughs> yeah. Reckless flying your spaceship without a license. Right. <laughs> He's a menace to the stars. <laughs> no worse than George Jetson. And it, it's funny, no of course, because uh, Mud himself brings out the correct physics defense. Space is big. You know, it's not like he's going to run into stuff. <laughs> True. Unless he runs himself into an asteroid field, in which case. Although even there, there were like way too many big asteroids. <laughs> right, exactly. And he had a little ship. So we, we got to start off right in the action. 
So we jump right into the action. Here we go. Captain's log. Starting. It's five-year mission. Stardate 139, or 1329.8. So apparently, years have gone by. Oh, yeah, because it's uh, almost 200 days later. There we go. Almost a year has passed. Six months, at least. Well, it'll be interesting to see, because obviously we keep going in production order, but I'm wondering if maybe they fix the voiceovers as we go. So as we go, we'll keep, we might be hopping through the timeline a little bit, maybe. Pursuing an identified vessel. It's a mud ship, obviously, as we were just saying, who's uh, trying to escape. He doesn't have an ID beam, yeah. apparently. I didn't know that was a thing. It's like driving around without a license plate. Shame on you, getting pulled over every time. Unregistered driver. Exactly. Uh, Who said he doesn't have a license either? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Driving without a license, too. This guy, no wonder why he's on the cop show. So we get, uh, we get that first pan through, and, that, and I don't know who's sitting there at helm, right? It's Sulu. And then some other funny face is sitting there at the helm. You know, they got that first shot of him where he's like looking at the screen like, hey, look at that. I was like, so I'm just calling him funny face throughout the rest of this episode because I don't know what his real name is. We see Goldahura in this one. Again, without her red, we'll be getting, we'll be getting to her, her in her actual red shortly, but uh, not yet. So uh, Mutt is flying a Class J cargo ship. And they say that his engines are uh, superheating. <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, they blow out and he's drifting in space. Scotty does his typical, or what will become typical, warning that they're going to overload the engines because he is too far away. You know, Kirk can't do it. He can't just let the, the, the guy and his crew die. So uh, he goes to save them uh, using the uh, tractor beam. Although they don't call it a tractor beam in this one, do they? No, they did in the last one, but not in this one. They also try to extend shields around him. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately it just burns out the old Enterprise's engines. Their lithium circuits. <laughs> right, with their lithium circuits. Yeah, yeah, they start to blow out one by one. But that's after the credits. We gotta, we're still in the pre-credit sequence here. But they, I, like, I like how they, um, their terminology is perfect for the time and age. You know, now everybody's kind of well-versed in sci-fi. You know, you can say things like tractor beam and people will know what they are, or you can say things like, you know, warp speed or any of that stuff. But even here, they're just talking about, like, the engine overloading and the em engine temperature climbing, you know? It's like, again, they would probably tech-speak that up a little bit now, but, uh, you know, for the 60s, that's perfect. Everybody understands what happens when their engine starts, to, you know, overheats and starts to explode, so that's great. So then we get we see the red alert light flash. Then we go to credits. Notice this in the credits too that um, Shatner and Nimoy are the only ones who have uh, that opening credit sequence uh, credits. It's just them. I guess DeForest doesn't get his till next season or later this season. We'll see. It's in the middle of this season, I think, where they realize he's too important. Well, yeah. I mean, even when we see at the end of this episode how you know perfectly that triangle starts to fit in. I wanted to say this, too, is just that I think that, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but the acting is really good, you know? That may change later when it becomes a little more cornball, but I feel like everybody plays their, plays their parts, you know, not only straight, but almost with the, especially with the techno speak and whatnot, almost like a casualness to it, you know? Funny face at the helm, he says something that, 
you know, in terms of like keeping the keeping the ship on track and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's a guard later who, you know, announces everybody in and as weird as like Harry Mudd's name is and all of that stuff, you know, just gives a very like, well, that's what a guy would look like when he was saying such a crazy line in the future, you know. I think that's great. It kind of reminds me of like 60s Doctor Who. There's nobody winking at the audience. You know what I mean? Also want to say this before we jump back into the plot. I think that, because again, we're watching, I'm watching on Netflix, and that's the new super redone uh, FX version, you know. And uh, I think sometimes the effects feel a little bit out of place. Maybe that's the a new cool movie. one. Yeah, I mean, mo- I mean, I think that they're cool. I like the camera shots. But it does feel from time to time like out of place is the only way I can say it. You know what I mean? I, I, and again, it must just be because I'm used to the older effects and whatnot. But, you know, it's like, it's like you remember the, the, the Next Generation episode Relics when they go on the old, you know, starship with Scotty and, you know, they go on the old Enterprise and you're like, it just doesn't feel exactly right. You know, it just doesn't, you don't feel like it's quite the Enterprise that we remember from the original series. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, and I, you know, maybe it's just camera, you know, film grain is missing in it or something. I don't know. You should watch them in black and white. <laughs> there we go, yeah. That's a good idea. I bet they look great in black and white. So the electrical systems blink out for a minute, and then Tulu announces the uh, that they have lost one dilithium circuit. Then they lose another lithium circuit. Uh, and then they beat mud over which is funny. Here we are losing circuits left and right. And we're like, yeah, can we, uh, we got two or three shots with the transporter, right? I think that's going to be fine. So Mud beams over. As soon as we see him that first time, you know, he looks like a pirate in the hat. You know, he introduces himself as Leo Walsh, which, you know, already sounds a little bit fishy. You know, I think Mud's a pretty great character, uh, as we discussed earlier. Now there are three circuits have gone out and uh, they're, they're using... Uh, they're using battery power now to help out. This kind of <laughs> reminds me of like the impulse engines from the last episode. You know, it's like, okay, we're just throwing all the energy we got at them. We got some double Ds. We're hooking those up. We're hoping that works too. I know they probably mean more like a car battery, but still. You know, I've, I've thought about the battery. Okay, hit me. You know, my theory is that basically the shields are powered entirely by batteries. Because if you had more power, at some point you'd want to use those in your weapons. You'd want to hit them with everything. Right. So you'd want to put your, your shields on batteries. So that, in a sense, there's this one-use power. It's also why I think the shields go down so quickly when you're being hit. Because this is battery power. You know, once it's yeah. lost, yeah. it's gone. They're not tied into the engine. It's not like you have this swinging scale where you can go, well, let's put 100% of the warp drive into shields. And now we can resist everything. We can, we can fly through the sun. Right. Or yeah, exactly. we're going to switch it 100% to weapons. You know, where the phasers can now shoot through, you know, three straight Klingon cruisers. But, you know, if we hit space dust, we're, we're goners. It doesn't work that way. Right. Right. There's this middle right. space in which the weapons have so much power and the shields are always available. Batteries. So uh, now they're having trouble with the transporter. They see that there are three more people on the other side, and they they just can't get the transporter quite right. Of course, now the ship's blown up, so they've got them in the field pattern, uh, but they haven't got them over yet. Here, here's the, also our first instant of Bones' distrust of the transporter. 
you know, he basically says something like, never liked these things in the first place, or something like that. And then uh, finally, the three hot ladies beam aboard. And how do we know they're hot? Well, right, because both, both Scotty and Bones are drooling all over them. They can't even speak, they're so dumbfounded. And transporter man number two. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because basically what the wardrobe person thought was, he was like, what his feeling was is what's more sexy is, is what might accidentally happen. You know what I mean? So you cut the you cut the skirt just low enough that it looks like her butt might pop out or anything else. You know what I mean? So he really like drew the fine line. And of course, you know, with Roddenberry behind it, of course you're going to have, you know, super sexy hot ladies walking around the ship. But uh, I thought that was really interesting. You know, it's like almost the like what could happen makes it more sexy than actually, you know, what would happen, of course, which isn't going to happen on... And they're basically wearing ball gowns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to travel to whatever colony we're going to. Yeah, exactly. So it's funny. There's one shot in this where Spock's eyebrows look weird. And then they look fine in the rest of the show. But there was just one shot where I'm like, it's, did they use that from another episode? Like, what is that shot? I don't know. But it's, it's, in the, it's in there where the two guys are drooling and he's kind of like, you know, just staring at them like, what is happening? <laughs> what is wrong with these ladies? This is also the introduction of soft focus into the uh, world of Star Trek, which we'll see a lot of later. Uh, but this, this first time, the first time we get the close-ups of the three ladies, uh, we got a lot of soft focus going on. Star Trek will love the, the soft yeah, focus. Exactly. Well, we get some later, too, where we even get Kirk in soft focus, I think. Which reminds me, too, also in this episode, I feel like Kirk's makeup is really noticeable. Now, again, I know when we're dealing with 60s television, like, you know, you got a film grain, you got, like, static, you know, and stuff. Everything's working against you. So probably the more makeup, the better. But I feel like his is the only makeup where, like, you can see he's obviously, you know, put an eye, eye, you know, eyeliner on, that he's got some, you know, something on his eyelashes. And the pancake makeup's going really crazy. But uh... we've also, with this, you know, as we improve these and remaster them, you're getting the problem that... I, this is how I'll describe it. You know, the beginning of season two of of uh, Game of Thrones, and we all go over to some guy's house who's got the HD television, and you watch them, and you're like, "Oh, this looks like it's you know filmed in someone's backyard." Yeah. You know, this looks weird. And of course, it's because we can see too much. Yes, exactly. And I think well, that, part of what you're describing maybe that particular problem. Well, that's what they were saying too about the. Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, the, the, that second trilogy that they did. You know, that's what they were saying. They filmed it in, you know, 60 frames per second, and it looked like a bunch of kids in their backyard, you know, because it just, everything was so, you could tell what was real and what was fake. It was crazy. They head out. Kirk demands to see them in his, in his quarters, which I thought was also interesting. It's not like some kind of neutral place. No, bring it to my quarters. This is going to be, you know, completely informal in our meeting here. So they head out. Uh, as the girls leave, you can just imagine McCoy thinking in his head that, uh, I hate to see you go, but I love watching you leave. <laughs> you know, that crazy McCoy. So then they're, uh, they're stuck on the turbo lift, and, uh, you know, Spock's running the, running the lift, and, <laughs> and Mud calls him a Vulcanian, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. So there's several ways to approach this, right? One is to say... It's an early episode. They don't know how to use Vulcan as an adjective yet. Another alternative is that uh, Harry Mudd's idiosyncratic. 
Right. And of course, if he encountered Romulans, he'd call them Romulanians. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> so, so I'm going to start calling him now Romulanians. So this may just be Mud being an oddball. It may be his, you know, frontier education or, you know, whatever. Right. That's, I mean, I love that idea anyway. So that's what I'm sticking with, definitely. Um, but he does say, but he does say, uh, you know, he does tell the girls to like, hey, turn off the charm. It's not going to work on this one. He can turn it off, you know, or he can use it. He doesn't need it unless he wants to, you know. It's like, interesting, interesting, playing with that whole duality there of the Spock emotion human side. And of course, yeah. how does, how does uh, Mud know that Spock is part Vulcanian? <laughs> that's a good question that's a good question it raises some speculation that perhaps they had imagined that when they would portray actual Vulcans they would look even more exotic more alien right. and then when it came time to actually portray them they're like oh, use the same makeup we know how to do that it's easier that way maybe they would be full blown green you know instead of that green like pallor that they were putting on him early well, on well I always suspected that the way Vulcans or Romulans get portrayed next generation. And their forehead's a little bit different. You got that V. There mm-hmm. they are, greener. That that's actually what your run-of-the-mill Vulcan looks like, unless they're going to be a full-time cast member, because then the makeup's too expensive. Right, yeah, exactly. Commercial break. When we come back from the commercial, we got another star date going. In this log, he mentions, he mentions the effect of the women in the log, you know? It's... This is a thing that he keeps mentioning. So it's like he keeps pushing it to the forefront of the story. Hey, don't forget about the ladies. They got some special power. <laughs> it becomes important later. <laughs> so they're, uh, they're in Kirk's room. Kirk, you know, tells everyone to come in. And, of course, he sees the women. And immediately, you know, you got Kirk stuck in a room with, like, three hot women. You know, already trouble's brewing. But uh, Mud tries to talk himself out of it. Kirk, instead of, uh, you know, even letting him, just sets up the hearing that we were talking about earlier. And uh, I love that little banter they have between them where he's like, uh, uh, you're hard-nosed, Captain, and you're a liar, Mr. Walsh. Now we understand each other. Love that bit. That's so great. Yeah, so, I think uh, it's, it's very pr- police procedural. <laughs> true. True, true. Uh, I think this, well, this is, this is a, also a perfect example of this episode, like, writing the fine line between, you know, the comedy and the, you know, seriousness of the show, which, of course, you know, thanks to Harry Mudd mostly, but even, even, you know, Kirk and obviously we've seen Sulu gets a funny line a little bit later with funny face and, you know, it's a good time. Oh, actually, that was my next note. <laughs> that scene where Sulu's like, yeah, no, I've seen him. Let's go. Let's get to work. Come on now. I saw it too. And then uh, Scott and Spock had that uh, scene where, you know, Spock's like, well, we're going to have to bypass it if it's not going to work. And Scott's like, no, I cannot bypass. You know, it's, uh, we, we destroyed the whole thing. We got new, we need new crystals. It's just, so we're not clear what those things do. So here it's like, we'll just bypass them. And of course, to our later understanding of dilithium crystals, well, how, do you, how do you bypass them? Yeah. Now, in one sense, later on, we get this notion. You hook it up to the battery. Yeah. <laughs> We'll just line up a bunch of hand phasers and power them to make the ship go. So later on, we get the idea that there are two different power sources on the ship. There's the matter-antimatter thing that runs through the dilithium chamber and so forth. And then there's also some 
fusion reactors on board the ship that provide auxiliary power. And so you're wondering, this what they're discussing here ultimately just can't be reconciled with what we know later. And so I have to attribute it to just kind of, it's early in the show, they haven't worked out how Star Trek works yet. Yeah, exactly. We'll, 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 buy, we'll bypass the, the Elysium circuit. In the meantime, Mid's trying to give uh, the girls tips on how to deal with the hearing, you know. Then Kirk comes up, comes up to the bridge. They basically rehash the entire scene that Spock and Scott just had with Kirk there. And Kirk's, uh, you know, and Spock's already like, well, I've already set a course to ride till 12. He's like, all right, well, great. You didn't even need me. That's what I felt like. You didn't even need the scene. This is just filler, the scene. But here we go. The trial starts. I love this scene. You know what? what's funny? It, it really starts to show in this, in this scene and kind of rides through the next, you know, till the end of the episode. But it really feels like Spock is like almost bemused about what's happening the entire episode, you know? He's, he's got this like almost smile on his face, uh, you know, like smirk almost. Again, I know it's just them trying to find who uh, who Spock is, but I think it's I've, it's amusing to me in this episode. Yeah, I think there may be a point at which he's thinking humans are a laugh a minute. <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. Right, exactly, exactly. That was his whole idea in this episode. You can also see too, like Spock's irritation at Mud lying in this scene. You know, every time he like asks him a question, he answers it wrong. He's just like, oh god, this guy. Come on, let's go. Crap, bring it up, buddy. Bring it up. I love this line, too, where they, uh, they go into his history, and they're saying his sentence was mental health treatment, and the effectiveness of which was disputed. <laughs> that just made me laugh, especially coming from the, uh, from the computer, here played by Majel Barrett, as she would go on to do for uh, many seasons of many Star Trek later. It's funny, too, because she doesn't even have like her normal lilt in this. You know, She's just like the, and that I'm a computer, and I'm talking like this. But it makes sense for generations on. It's like, we've upgraded this, you know. This is like fifth generation, you know, uh, Alexa or something. So anyway, ultimately, Mud is basically given a ticket. You know, he's going to be reprimanded to the authorities for his, no, for his no license plate and his no license. And also failing to answer a hail from a... From a failure uh, to yield. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he didn't pull over when we asked you to. So one of the girls here then, uh, after the trial, stops by Medical Bay. It's the, it's the long brunette, girl with the brunette with the long hair. And uh, she steps in front of the, uh, the medical, yes, the scanner. There you go. Perfect. And uh, it, it keeps going off in, these, in this weird set of lights. And McCoy the whole time's like, what makes it do that? Yeah, it's not supposed to do that. It's amazing. Love it. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so that's a fun little scene. Then Kirk arrives in his room where Eve is set up shot in there, you know. She tries to kiss Kirk. That doesn't work. Well, yeah, she, does, she tries to, but even, like, stops herself. It's not even like Kirk, you know, put up a hand and said, hey, whoa, whoa. No, she stops herself because, you know, she, she almost gives away to Mud's plan by basically being like, oh, he told me to do this. I can't do this. And then just walks out. And Kirk's like, uh, what? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Then back in Mud's quarter, we see Mud has been hatching his plot all along, as uh, was almost given away in the last scene. He, he uh, has planned to contact the miners on Rideville 12 by using the girls to do his uh, dirty work. Eve returns, and there's another great scene between, with a bemused Spock looking on 
with uh, Kirk and McCoy. And, uh, like, are they more beautiful than the girls on the rest of the ship? Why are we staring at them? We have no idea what's happening. And then my favorite line is, like, well, well what do you think, Captain? Are they, uh, you think they're alien illusions? And uh, comes back with, uh, hey, I asked you first. You tell me what you think. Love it. Love it. So much good comedy in this episode. Clearly it's a ball gown. <laughs> yes, it must be. That's it. They're sparkling. Harry Mudd contacts Rigel 12. Finally does, their, his bidding has finally paid off, but all of a sudden, the time has hit here, and the women are growing older. I know we questioned this already, but are they growing older? Are they growing uglier? We're not sure what's hitting here, but we see the pills, and the pills are all extra specially lit up with <laughs> computer stuff. But anyway, they're shiny, glowing, sighting things, which we later find out are called Venus pills, but we'll get to that. Oh, I also love, too, there's another great line like there was last week where uh, Mud's like, I've seen the way you've been looking at uh, Captain Kirk over there. Ship captains are married to their ships. You'll find out when you, be, when you come between him and it. I love it. Always love Kirk being in love with his ship. It's so great. Exactly. So at this point, we're kind of shifting from the essence of the show being a police procedural toward more of its western side. So this show, this particular episode, is a hybrid. It's got the kind of uh, master plot of a western. So we've got this rogue. He runs afoul of the local lawman. And he's got this kind of con going. What he's doing is he's bringing wives to the settlers. Right? This was a legitimate problem. You can read you know, books from the other side of the story where the wife journeys out west and has to adapt to the new husband and his children and his farm. And, you know, she's got her eastern way of life and he's, you know, she's got to learn to adapt, right? But, of course, this right. is the, the 23rd century version of that. And they talk about it, you know, what it was like when, you know, a scene or two later. But this is a, this is a western trope, bringing women to the settlers. And he is kind of a, you know, this Western rogue, you know, and, and his outfit, while it does have a, a pirate kind of flair, it's also kind of, if he were in, in a Western, he wouldn't necessarily be too out of place either, except for those earrings. <laughs> well, perhaps. That might be a little much. Well, what did they call those? There's a name for those, for those guys who used to, like, run around and sell fake medicine. Snake oil salesman. Yeah, there you go. That's good. Snake oil salesman. I like that. Yeah, so that's definitely what he is in this setting. You know, it's prob it's funny, too, because, like, a lot of times these TV writers probably didn't know how to write anything else. You know what I mean? So they're like, hey, well, I'm just going to stick with what I know in this situation. It's going to be easier that way. And in a sense, that's the strength of Star Trek, is that a lot of this early writing coming from police shows like Dragnet and Westerns, produce something in a science fiction setting, which isn't particularly science fiction-y here. Right. It's just set in a science fiction environment. But this is a police show and a Western mixed together in a way that you couldn't do in a straight-up Western. You know, even Gunsmoke, in which Marshall Dillon's one of the key figures, that was not a police procedural set in the West. It was a true, Western. True, true, true. And so this shows up. It's got a hybrid of different things. It's, it's transgressing the boundaries of what is 
this kind of show or that kind of show. And then sometimes they will really go on full, you know, science fiction and deal with, you know, uh, people who live forever or, you know, computers that run planets or what have you. Or crazy hippies in outer space. That's right. Picking up where we left off, Mud has to, at this point, convince Eve to take the pill. It's like she's becoming more reluctant as the uh, episode goes on. The Enterprise pulls into Rigel's orbit. They're given basically, what, four days? Three or like three and a half three days. Three days and some odd hours, yeah. Yeah, uh, with the energy that they have left. Childress uh, shows up onto the ship. The miner, decked out in his Western gear, uh, just to follow your... Uh, thing and he does he looks exactly like he's out of like some kind of coal mine or something yeah he's, he's not some kind of spaceman who happens to be collecting minerals you know it's not like well i sit behind a console and control my uh you know autonomous uh drones that do the harvesting and then uh you know every three years i take the ship back to settled world and you know make no he's a he's a gruff curmudgeonly miner yep. i mean this guy could be out of any of a dozen western movies in which they're panning for gold so uh, he, he offers a swap for Mud and the women, and uh, Kirk refuses. Dun-dun-dun, commercial break. So when we come back, you know, it, they realize that a couple days have gone by that they're probably not going to get the, they're not going to make the deal, so they, they're going to have to, you know, fold. They're going to basically have to fold if we go back to poker from last, from last episode and just lay down their cards. So uh, they beam down to Rival 12, going into what looks like a, a prefabricated hut. But the interior almost looks like a cave. Well, the reasoning behind this was is because they had originally built uh, a thing that goes into that almost looks like it goes into a cave on the set. The hut, the hut was still like supposed to be like part of the uh, like a roof or something, but they were supposed to go down to the cave. Well, then they never shot it. So, so then and now it just looks like they're walking into this hut that suddenly looks like a cave on the inside. It looks very diametrically wrong. That was fun. So. Um, Childress is one now. They're basically having a big party jam in the uh, in the in the hut, cave, whatever you want to call it. Um, Childress is one, but he still refuses to give Kirk the the lithium. So they're all dancing. Uh, everyone's having a good time, but Eve, who for some reason decides now she's going to you know lose it. The party then turns violent, and Eve runs out the door screaming. A little dramatic, I might add. And out the door she runs. You know, like... So in this scene, with its, you know, touch of violence, and again, we're, we're in a Western saloon here in which the cowboys are fighting over the women. You know, this isn't, you know, some, it, it does not feel futuristic or 23rd century. It yeah, feels like a Western. Absolutely. And this is funny. Like, for me, like, had she said, you know, hey, I don't like any of these men, I want to be back up to the ship, you know, then, hey, I got your back on this one. You know, like, hey, I don't feel right about any of this, I'm going to go away. I would have been right behind her, but with her screaming, the loser gets me, I was like, ah, I'm done with you, go away. So <laughs> off, she runs, off she runs into the, uh, the blazing sandblasting of the, the lithium crystal mine. They return to the Enterprise, hoping that they can find her with their scanners, because they can't see, you know, two feet in front of their face, according to Tilbury. And then all of a sudden, Scott basically calls out Kirk. Well, I don't even know if Scott at this point was even calling out Kirk. He was basically just like, uh, yeah, we kind of screwed up. We didn't, get the, we didn't get the crystals. 
And then Kirk out of nowhere just was like, well, I'm sorry, I should have found, you know, I should have found a way, Mr. Scott. And you're like, whoa, buddy, calm down. I don't think he was calling you out. I, that's the way I took it. I don't think he was calling him out at all. But anyway, he soon apologizes and finds the out. Captain's got a lot of burdens. He's got a heavy burden. Yeah, I guess. I know. But, I mean, it would have been one thing if, like, Scotty would have been like, Captain, you screwed this one up. You know what I mean? We're all going to die. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we find out there's only five hours left of energy. So uh, we cut back to the planet, and Childress has found Eve, and he makes his way back to the hut, and then they both pass out. Back to the Enterprise. 40 42 minutes of energy left. Is the Enterprise going to make it? Well, they only got 42 minutes of energy. We might as well beam back down to the, the planet and use more energy on the transporter. I'm sure turning into energy and then converting it back into matter doesn't cost. Yeah, right, exactly. So when we cut back to the planet, we find uh, Eve is awake, and he's been uh, cooking for Childress. She said that she had eaten some food and repaid him with chores. There's a playful little scuffle that happens here. I'm not, I guess, again, we just go with the Western Frontier aspect of this, but it's, it's very weird setup for two people who in like 10 minutes time are going to fall in love. You know what I mean? Unless it's the Old West. Exactly. In which case it makes perfect sense. Yes, exactly, right? Or the Ancient West, as we should be saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Or the Future West? I don't know. So despite everything, uh, she tells him to go sandblast the plots, or, you know, hang the pots outside to sandblast them clean, and he takes her advice and does it. And when he comes back in, she's playing cards. Did you see the cards? They're circles. You know, you can almost tell that they just, like, went and, like, cut a circle into a bunch of cards and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that made me, that made me laugh. Because they've got to be futuristic Yeah, cards. exactly, right? So how else to make them futuristic but make them circle? Finally, Kirk shows up with, uh, with mud in tow. And uh, here we find out about the Venus drug, and it is illegal. I'm wondering about this. Why is this drug illegal? An overregulated society. I guess. <laughs> there you go. It's too democratic for its own good. I mean, they're getting people on registrations, on whether or not they got a <laughs> license. <laughs> good point. Good point. My bad. But, you know, it's funny because I sort of think of this as like, you know, it's almost like Viagra, right? I mean, it's this kind of thing that, like, it, it makes men better, it makes women better, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like this thing that people use on their anniversaries to, you know, like take the humdrum out of the, uh, out of, you know, to liven up the sexiness a bit during the, that's what I feel like it's used. So it's weird that it's like illegal, but that's all right. We'll say it's illegal and move on. Uh, we talk about, we hear about the other miners. The other miners have gotten uh, married over subspace. They got, they called it a subspace radio marriage. I thought that was amazing. Then they, uh, you know, there's the scuffle continues between Childress and Eve. You know, he's like calling her ugly and saying, you know, he doesn't like her anymore. So, so uh, they offer Eve to prove that it was the Venus drugs. They offer Eve what looked like gumdrops. You know, uh, it's funny too because like I, then later I realized when it's not the real drug, it turns out not to be the real drug. It's a fake drug. She was beautiful the whole time. Beauty comes from within. Apparently, that's the whole moral of this episode. I guess. Confidence. confidence exactly but it's funny because i noticed that it did look just look like gumdrops in the hand and then i realized when i went back and watched it the second time that they had put like a special light or a special effect on the other ones and then these were just humdrum like gumdrops basically anyway then boom off they go the she childress decides to keep eve because she looks beautiful now with her confidence and uh inner beauty and mud still goes off with kirk 
Kirk goes, hey, you know what? Uh, if you want me to, I'll appear as a character witness if you think that'll help. You kidding? No, they throw away the key. That's what Mud says. And then, boom, off we go. And that's it for another fine episode <laughs> of Star Trek, the original series. You and I were kind of talking before the show that this uh, episode doesn't really have much to it. You know, it's a nice little episode. It's fun. It's engaging. Uh, the character of Mud is pretty fun. But, you know, really, other than that, it's not a lot to this episode. Except you've got, uh, you know, some interesting stuff about like, what is Star Trek. So, you know, is, is Star Trek, a, you know, a composite of the genres that were running around in the mid-60s? It's a little bit of science fiction, a little bit of this other stuff, as opposed to today, it's so easy to make something that is so kind of genre science fiction. And Star Trek is not genre science fiction. True, it plays with the genres. That's what we've been like saying. Um, so uh, here's a couple of little behind-the-scenes stuff that I didn't get to before we uh, jumped into the episode. First of all, Jerry Finnerman came back on as the lighting guy for this episode. He was, uh, even though he had never really truly like handled an entire TV show before, they gave him the, the duties in the last episode. He freaked out and didn't think he could do it, but everybody liked his work so much that they brought him back. Uh, somebody even came up to him at one point and quoted him, and he quoted them by saying, we don't know what you're doing, but we love it. So we'd like you to sign this contract. So he goes on and stays through at least the first season. Susan Denberg, she was the one with the short blonde hair in that episode. She actually, in uh, 1966, appeared in Playboy before this episode was uh, even was shot because many of the guys on the set are like, I know I know you. I know I know you from somewhere. So that's, uh, that's pretty fun. Um, <clears throat> it was also in this episode, too, that the lighting guy, uh, Finnerman, came up with the idea of lighting like every planet would have a different atmosphere in it. And uh, so they also decided, too, that was one way to save money without always having to build sets on every planet that they landed on. They could just change the color of the backlights, and boom, there we are, brand new planet. So obviously we know that's uh, something that they do over and over again. I think it's almost like um, a trademark of the old original episode, or the old original series. Uh, they did actually have uh, some problems running into the running this episode. Uh, the uh, the director of this episode kept like he shot in really cool ways, but and he always waited for the performance to be perfect and waited for the angles to be just right in this one. Uh, this caused two problems in that a it caused them to go over, so they went over a whole day of shooting, and they kept running over the days too. So almost an hour, almost every day, they were paying overtime, you know, for the crew and everybody else. So that was a bad thing. But, you know, again, I think that this episode holds up really well. It looks great. I think the performances are great. But the other problem that this also caused was that they couldn't edit it all the right way that they normally would in in the 60s. So that was also another problem that they had with uh, that. So this director actually never comes back and does another episode because of this, because of this one. So that's it. That's all I got on Mud's Woman. Anything else uh, that you want to talk about that we didn't hit? One of the conceits of Star Trek, which has lots of holes in it, is that there is no money in the future. In the cat's paw, Kirk will say this. In the next generation, Picard will say this. They, you know, they make the point that these guys are rich as creases. You know, that they could like, buy a starship, buy a planet. You'll be duchesses, countesses. Who are they selling all this dilithium to? Yeah. Now, I think there's 
I think you can harmonize these two positions. One is the kind of state ideology of the Federation, and one is the reality, right? Right. And there's right. also the, you know, in this future, as Kirk says in the cat's paw, we can synthesize anything. Your gems, we can synthesize those. And it's true. So for those people who are part of the society and, you know, the cost of energy is so cheap because of matter-antimatter, that your material needs can obviously be met by synthesized materials. Later, what we'll call replication. Right. And yet, at the same time, there still are merchants, you know, uh, basically dealing with things that are hard to replicate or that can't be replicated, like yes. lithium circuits or lithium crystals or dilithium or, uh, you know, these kinds of things. Bringing you authentic experiences, like we're going to bring the actual, you know, foods or beverages, the canar straight from Cardassia, not just the, you know, Sipsahal kind or the replicated kind. So I think, in one sense, they're both his money, but there doesn't need to be. People right. could live perfectly adequate lives, you know, in the Federation, everything's replicated with our free energy. And then there are other people on the frontier who are mining, whatever they're mining, lithium, dilithium. <laughs> yes, lithium. For the circuits. Yep. Well, it's funny. Yeah, there's there's a great there's a great YouTube video that you should hunt down where it actually like you know does that. It like show it you know shows Picard saying no no we don't have money we don't place value on anything in the future and then you know him looking at some like sculpture going it's priceless its value is beyond measure you know and it's like you're like exactly how does the economy work in the 24th century because clearly too like I mean planets probably have you know some system of money on some of those planets, you know, Romulans in the Federation, there's got to be, you know, probably the Romulans are, have some kind of economy of their own that are going. So it's interesting that how the economy works in the 24th century, for sure. All right. Well, that's about all I got. So we're going to go ahead right. and wrap it up for this week. Uh, next week, I believe, is one of my favorite episodes, The Enemy Within. Nice. Love it. A little great acting little great overacting by <laughs> William Shatner, and I can't wait to uh, talk all about it next week. Well, uh, this is me signing off and Ken saying goodbye. Say goodbye, Ken. Peace and long life. There you go. Excellent. And we will talk to you all next week.